So today we're talking about finances. We're talking about how God wants to use the money that he's already given to us uh, to bless us, to provide for us, but also to use that as a catalyst for blessing and bringing people to Jesus who don't yet know Jesus. And there's a picture of something that I saw Friday and then Sunday that really represents well what God wants to do in all of our lives financially. And this applies for all of us across the board. So I've loved the fact that it's been raining lately because we need rain to make food grow and so that we can eat food and make it to next rainy season. Uh, but with the rain for this past week, it's been super windy. So Friday when I was here at Sunnyside, uh, I saw our beautiful sign that's usually out on the corner, uh, crumpled up in the parking lot. And I realized something last service. If it's on this side of the parking lot, because that sign like hangs on the street side and not the school sign, that means that the wind completely ripped that thing off of the fence, deposited it in the street. Somebody wadded it up, stuck it back over on the school side of the fence. So that thing is a big picture of completely jacked up. Like it's 25 feet long. There were no wind holes cut in it. So the wind just grabbed that thing and uh, had its way with it. So uh, I picked that up on Friday, rolled it up, stuck it up and stuck it in the back of my car, took it home knowing that today we're going to fix it after we finish setup. Uh, one thing about that sign, it smells really bad. So I got, in, I got back to my car on Friday night after the sign had been sitting there thinking I'll just leave it in there all weekend. Oh boy, it was bad. So as you see it on the corner of Peach and Kings Canyon, do not get too close to it. It stinks really bad. Uh, but this morning what we did was we brought it in, we rolled it out, me and Jeff, one of the guys on our setup crew, uh, which is, our, we love our setup crew. They are amazing, uh, and they work really hard. They're very good at what they do, and they get here really early in the morning, and so God bless them. We're thankful for them. So uh, Jeff and I, we took the old junked up, crumbled up, deposited in the street, brought back to the other side of the fence, signed, and we reinforced it. We changed some things. We put some wind holes in it, and uh, this, this morning, if you drove by it on the corner, it looks like this right now. Boom! Same sign! No longer crumbled up, still smelly, uh, but it looks like it's ready to go for the next windstorm and the next really, really long time uh, up there on the corner. That is a picture of what we're going to talk about today. Because in our lives, our finances are one of the things that God wants to use, one of the areas where God wants to work at us. And even if we feel like we are the crumbled up financial version, there's no way that God could ever do anything with me because whatever excuse you have, God still has a way of taking us smoothing us out, reinforcing what needs to be reinforced, preparing us for the future, and then sending us back into life. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be in Luke 18, and we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has with a guy who thinks that he has everything all together, but Jesus very quickly in a couple sentences uh, brings the whole thing to the ground, not in a way to punish him, but in a way of saying, hey, I want you to bring all of your life to me. This life with me is going to cost you everything, but it's going to result in unending blessing. And so that's where we're at today. Luke 18, you can go there uh, in your Bible or in your app now. It says this, Verse 18, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. So this guy comes to Jesus with a question that at some level all of us are asking or have asked. And that's what brought us to church. That's what brought us to God in the first place. Am I on the path to eternal life? We all want to know if we're on the path to eternal life. Hell sounds really bad. Eternal sounds like a really, really long time. We want to know that we're on the right path to this. And in Jesus, we have the answer to the right path. Jesus is, in fact, the right path. Because at some point, for each and every one of us, asking that question of, God, am I on the right path? We start that from a place of being loved by God. 
That before you had done anything to deserve it or undeserve it or ill-deserve it, God flat out loved you. Always has, always will. That's never going to change. We are loved by God. As we walk in today, regardless of what your week has been like, you sit here this morning in a place of being loved by God. Think about that. Breathe that in. You are loved by God. Always have been, always will. We'll relax in that, and in that, God says, I want you to follow me, and following God means that we're also going to deal with another thing that's totally true for all of us, and that's the issue of sin, that all of us, me included, have things in our life where we tell God, get out of here, I'm doing this my way, that's called sin, and what Jesus did was, as that pushes us away from God, Jesus stepped in and stepped in to bear the penalty for all of our sin. For everything that we ever have done, will do, or are currently doing, Jesus has paid the penalty for that. So we don't live in our sins separated from God anymore. We live in what Jesus has done for us. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. It is once happened for all time. That that sacrifice to bring us into a relationship with God, which Jesus paid for, makes us right with God. And so what Jesus says, or what a guy says about Jesus in John 1, 12, is totally true for us. For all who received, received Jesus, to them God gave the right to become children of God. That as we believe this for ourselves, we say, okay, God, you've forgiven me of my sins. Everything that could have pushed me away from you, everything that has pushed me away from you has been paid for by Jesus, and now you have a big invitation card for me inviting me into a relationship with you. That's the path to everlasting life. This guy comes to Jesus asking him, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus, who is the path, responds to him. And he responds by saying, this is actually going to take everything. This is going to take every single part of you. And the guy is not ready for that. In verse 20, Jesus says, to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replies, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. He hasn't, but Jesus is just going to humor him. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. This guy puts up a front saying, I've done everything, God. I am your A player. You are lucky to have me. And Jesus, knowing him, knowing what's in his heart, knowing the big rocks that need to get moved for him to follow Jesus, looks at the one that matters the most. He says, I want you to sell everything and follow me. A few chapters before, there's a guy who comes and asks Jesus the same question, but he's coming from a different place. And so Jesus highlights the other one thing in his life, that one don't touch area. And Jesus says, this is what it looks like to follow me. This guy, it's money. But in both sentences, in both instances, Jesus is saying, it's going to cost, it's going to lead you to giving up everything for me. Guy goes, Straight for Jesus, says, what do I have to do? I've done everything. Jesus goes straight for his heart. And for him and his heart was money. And for all of us, money is an x-ray that shows what's in our heart, and it gives us an opportunity for obedience. Jesus cares a lot about money. Some people put up the idea that that if Jesus really loves you, you're going to be rich, or if Jesus really loves you and you really love Jesus, you're going to be poor. Jesus has both friends. He's got friends all across the economic spectrum. What Jesus is most interested in and most after with all of us is how are we going to use what God has given to us to worship Jesus? How are we going to use our money in a way that shows that God is actually in charge of all of our finances? Instead of saying that money is in charge of all of our finances and we're going to put Jesus on top like he's an ice cream cone topping. 
Jesus says, I want to be in charge of everything. And your money is a good window into how in control of you I am. Your money is. The reason we talk about money and the reason that we're focusing on it today is because money is one of those things that has the tendency to enslave us. Slaves to our financial fears or make us slaves to our need to provide security for ourselves financially. Jesus is saying, I can calm all of your fears and I can give you a security that's so secure that it will overwhelm everything else. He's saying that I've got an inability to lead you into freedom around your finances, to lead you out of fear, to lead you out of worshiping money. And he knows that this is a big thing. So he tells the guy, you have to sell everything and come follow me. The guy gets sad. He walks away. Verse 24, it says, when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I think that's a saying that's been around for a long time. That it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And people try to spiritualize it and say, well, the camel has to take off everything. It has to kneel down because there's this little, no, 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 that's not true. Okay, what Jesus is doing is he's being totally normal here. It's an awkward situation. Something weird just happened. A guy said, how can I follow you? Jesus gave him the answer and he walks away. Jesus is making a joke, right? He's normal. He's like you. He's, people are like, it's a tense situation. So Jesus comes in with humor. What does he do? He takes the biggest thing he can find, a camel. That's biggest thing in their culture. If Jesus was in India, he'd say, you can take an elephant and jam it through the eye of a needle. The biggest thing through the smallest thing. Saying it's harder for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is to take this massive thing and jam it through the eye of a needle. And for us, that's completely true. We are on the affluent side of the spectrum, globally speaking. And so what God wants to do today is he wants to remind us of how he wants us and how he created us and how he's already wired us to use our finances as a way of worshiping God. Okay, that's why we talk about money. I was listening to a pastor speak one time, and most of the time when people speak and there's something I disagree with, I just kind of brush it off as you can do your own thing, do whatever. This time he said something that completely made me lose my mind. I got really upset and needed to deal with that later. Uh, he's talking about running his church. He's talking about how to lead a church that's going to be attractive to other people and people who aren't Christians yet. And his big thing was, is we do not take an offering. We don't talk about money. We're not doing this whatsoever. And I'm thinking, this is a horrible idea. Why? Because all Christians and all people in general have this thing where we want to stuff our fears and our security, fill everything with money, and let money be something that's never touched. And what God's plan for finances involves is us saying, I'm going to worship God with my money. And so we're talking about money today because it's something for all of us where, where we can either be enslaved by it or use that as an instrument to worshiping God. Use it as an instrument of saying, God, you're in charge. I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you the way I treat people. I'm going to give you my marriage. I'm going to give you my relationships. I'm also going to give you my money because I want you to work in every single area in this. Jesus says, Luke 16, 13, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. And you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So how do we do this right? That's what I'm going to get over today. That's what we're going to focus for the rest of the time. How are we going to do this right? So for us, all our money is a gift from God to be used for God. It's a gift from God. What we have, what we receive for the work that we do, it's a gift from God. God says, part of the way that I'm going to provide for you and show you my goodness is by after 
two weeks of work or one month of work or however your pay schedule is, you're going to get money for your work and you're going to use that to pay for, for food and for indoor living and all those things. This is my gift to you. And like all gifts, they can go sideways. Food is a gift. Food is an amazing gift. I love food. Food goes totally sideways. Because we take this gift and either we undereat or overeat or whatever, but it's a gift that's gone sideways. Sex is another gift that God gives to exist between one man and one woman and one marriage for one lifetime. And that's gone sideways a million different ways. So money is another gift from God that he gives us and says, hey, I want you to use this as a way of worshiping me. But before generosity, we need obedience. We've been talking about creating a culture of generosity in every area of our life, in our emotions, in our time, in our abilities, and finances is also one of those. This is all as a result of what Jesus has done for us, where we look at the distance we were from God and how we were brought to God through Jesus giving his life for us, that generosity is the natural way to express that, natural way to follow through with that. And so finances runs right along with that. So what does this look like? Six things. First thing is we praise God as our provider. Before anything else, there's an attitude of gratitude. We have a gift, or we have a job, we have a house, we have a paycheck. All these things because God provides for us. There's not a person in here who is 100% self-made. We are all made as sons and daughters of our God who gives us things. And so when we even begin this discussion about finances, we begin it from a place of glad recipients under God. God gave us our job. God gave us our payment. God gave us the place where we live, the food that we eat. That's why we pray before we eat. God, thank you for this food that you've given us. It's God reminding us, hey, this is all from me. Second thing is we tithe off of our income. Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is mathematical obedience to God. And if you're really bad at math, that's really good because God gave you 10% as our standard for giving, and it's really easy. You take the amount of money that you get paid in whatever time period you're working with. You move the decimal point over one direction to the good direction, not to the giving away 10 times your paycheck, but giving away one-tenth your paycheck, and that's tithing. If God would have said one seventh thing, that would have been a lot harder because division is difficult. Instead, he said, I want 10%. And this has been God's standard for asking from his people what worship looks like financially from the the very beginning. He gives us 100% because we talked about that. We go out our finances uh, praising God as our provider. And he asks for us to manage 90% as best as we can and then give 10% back to him. This has been the standard from the beginning. Deuteronomy 12, 5 and 6. It says this, it says, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship he himself will choose from among all the tribes, the place where his name will be honored. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings of the firstborn animals of your herds and your flocks. There's all these offerings of us bringing to God what he's given to us, and included in that is the 10% of what we're giving back to him. 100 is from God, we manage 90, we give 10 back to him. Malachi 3, God talks about tithing again. This time, instead of a way of saying this is how it's gonna work, he's recovering and putting back together some things that have gone wrong. And there's some really strong language in here, both good and bad. Malachi 3, verse eight, God's asking a question to his people. And he said, should people cheat God? Obviously, the answer here is no. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me to the t- of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. That sounds really bad. 
Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the, Lord's of heaven, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and diseases. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I think that's amazingly strong for the negative and for the positive. He's saying tithing, it's me giving to you 100%, you managing 90, you giving back 10. Us failing to do that, it's not just being stingy, it's not being fearful, it's robbing God. For us to keep it all for ourselves and say, this is mine, I've got to manage this, I've got to make sure all my bills get paid, God, I'm not going to give you anything because I'm going to take care of all this. It's not fear, it's robbery. It's breaking a commandment when it comes to giving back to God. But if we do, I think that the severity of the negative argument at the beginning is, is the same as the severity of the goodness that comes with it. What's he say? I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. This is a God that invented big. This is a God that invented the Grand Canyon and the huge magnitude of that. The God that invented everything we can think of. And he's saying, you trust me with what I've given you and I'm going to pour back something that not only you think is big and not only something that you think is great, it's going to be so good that God says this is amazing. That's good. A blessing so great you won't be able to take it in. Next, next sentence is for people like me who have said, okay, God, how am I going to follow you in this? How, is, how are you actually going to provide when there's so many bills, so many things that need to get paid? God, what are you going to do? I'm afraid. God, I don't know what the future is going to hold. God says, okay, try it. Put me to the test. That is the green light of our shepherd saying, it is okay to be afraid, it is not okay to live in the fear. Trust me in the fear and I will lead you to a place that's going to be good. And that's good news for us. It's God once again not saying, get all your stuff together before you come to me and then now that you're perfect, then I will accept you. He's saying, come to me in your fear. It is okay to be afraid, but it is not okay to stay in your fear. Let me show you that I am the God that calms the fears, that calms the storms. Put me to the test. If this happens, all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. It's God saying, man, I'm going to take care of you in a way that causes other people to notice. That's God's standard of giving throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, Matthew 23, 23. I was researching it this week. It's great. It's, the, it's like the stamp all this is approved by God verse. Jesus says, Matthew 23, 23, you should tithe. Right there. We're leaving it right there. Jesus says tithe. We're going to tithe. And in it, it's, it's our way of giving back to God. It's not generosity, but it's the first step to, to generosity is that we're going to bring our tithing in line with obedience is giving 10% back to God. After that third thing is we practice smart stewardship. God gives us 100, we give 10 back to him, and we manage the other 90 as best as we can. That go, what, yeah, what's part of that is that we're going to do number four, we're going to avoid debt. Okay, having a mortgage paying monthly towards something that you're one day going to own and have a nice house on top of, that's one thing. That's one type of debt. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is spending uh, unnecessarily or staying in debt more than we have to uh, for student loans and stuff like that. 
The plan is to avoid debt. If you're going to avoid talking to someone, if they ever corner you and they start talking to you, you're getting out of that conversation as fast as possible. You're avoiding that conversation. For us to avoid debt means that when we're in debt, we're going to continue to obey God through tithing, and then everything else is going to strangle and choke out and get rid of that debt. We're going to avoid debt. If you're here and you're already in debt, we worship a freedom-giving, providing God. And he's going to lead you out. It is not a life sentence. It is not something that's going to have to stay in your reality forever and forever and forever. It's going to be something that God is going to lead you away out, way out of, teach you a new way to manage money, and God will lead you out of debt as we obey him, as we follow the things that he tells us to. And if you're here and you're in the under 30 crowd and you're thinking, I'm just going to swallow all of my tuition payments with student loan debt and who cares what it looks like when I graduate, let everyone my age and older remind you that's not the way to go, okay? Government loves student loans because you end up paying interest in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, and however long after that. Do what you can now to avoid debt, whether it's credit card stuff, whether it's student loans. Do whatever you can to avoid debt. Live modestly so that we can live freely. And that was, that was us. Like, I graduated seminary with a bunch of debt. And so for us, everything went toward paying down that debt. And the day when I got to click the button to pay off the whole student loan payment and own my master's, I took a video of it because I was that excited. It was something that we waited for for a long time. Uh, and it was a great step for us to be disciplined, to get out of debt. And it's great. We love it now because now we can plan for generosity. Generosity is using our finances for other people in a way that's going to hurt us a little bit or cost us something. Okay, generosity stings sometimes. But it's our way of paying, of giving back to God, of tangibly worshiping God for the instances, for the situations where we're seeing something, we're walking through something, and God says, hey, I want you to do something about this situation. I get to meet a bunch of pastors and hear their stories, and, and one of them, this guy who I really, really respected, uh, it was Christmas time, they lived a long ways away, it is not like driving to Selma, it was many, many Selmas away, and, uh, and he's talking about going home and finances being really tight, and gas money is kind of an issue, and so they're not really sure what they're going to do, but they're really wanting to go home, and so I felt like God said, okay, you're going to take care of this, Ken. So I went home, like, dang it, what are we going to do? Because God just said I've got to do something. And so I get on the computer and figure out how far it is from, from Fresno to where this guy lives, start running some calculations on miles per gallon and what's it going to cost. And, and it comes out to about 200 bucks. For you, that might be like that scene in Dumb and Dumber, you know, when they're crying and wiping their tears with $100 bills. That might be your reality. But for me, 200 bucks is kind of a big thing. So I look at it, I'm like, all right, we got to do this. Talk to Anna. We got to do this. She agrees with me. We got to do this. So I call him up the day before he leaves and say, hey, I want to meet up with you. Are, you. are you available anytime to meet? He said, yeah, I'm available at 5 a.m. at the Sanger Starbucks. So I'm like, dang it. Right, this is going to cost a lot. It's going to cost 200 plus sleep. Uh, and so I get up early and I drive out and meet with him, pray with him, talk to him about everything that's going on. And at the end of the meeting, he took out the envelope, slid it across the table. So that's gas money. Get out of here. So he cried, and I held it together, uh, which is a rarity, and uh, hugged, took his gas money, drove up for, for Christmas, and came back. 200 bucks was a lot for us. But when God says, I want you to do this, then, then we respond because of everything that Jesus has done for us. And what we do on the front end, what we do in our family in that situation, is we pray for opportunities, and we plan for opportunities for generosity. 
Okay, there's, there's a lot of stuff where I'm coming to Anna. I'm like, hey, I think we should give towards this. And the good news is, is she knows me, and she really, really knows budgets well. And she knows that in order to be married to me and for us to not go under, there needs to be opportunities for us to be able to give to things as God brings them up, to be able to provide for people the way that God has provided for us and lays things on our hearts. And so there's opportunities for stuff like this all around us. All right, one of them coming up that's in your bulletin is something that we do called Live the Mission. This is our twice a year big focus on missions and part of us doing this means is that we're going to be generous for the sake of people who have not yet met Jesus. Okay, what uh, Pastor Greg was talking about in the missions moment earlier, uh, the, the, the the seminary in Kenya uh, that we're praying for, that's an area where we've been generous to as a church for a long time. So if you gave anything to Mountain View between like 2005 and 2014, part of what you gave went to building that seminary. I was there in 06, me and a bunch of other guys, we were digging the trenches and pouring and mixing concrete to be the foundation for this building. Uh, When we got there and heard that we couldn't just bring the cement mixer up the hill, that we ourselves were the cement mixer, that was pretty tough to hear. Uh, But it's an area that I was able to give towards financially, give towards physically, and then this summer be there to give towards there in ministry, give towards there as a pastor. I love that picture. I've got a super big grin on my face, not just because it's raining and I love the rain there, but because this is a place where I've seen God's generosity go like full circle. There's a plaque on the building uh, that's connected to a water pump there uh, that Mountain View helped to fund, that you helped to fund. And it says this, if you can't read it, uh, in the, blue, in the blue, wa- uh, blue ink, it says, this water project was donated to the ATS Mount Elgon and Copsito community, which is a city that it is, by good Samaritans in the United States of America. That's us. We get to be the hero in the story. As we take what God's given to us and say, oh God, God, how can I use this generously for the sake of lost people? God puts us in in touch with opportunities to give out of what God's given to us. So Live the Mission is six or seven weeks away. Uh, There's going to be a banquet on Friday night, April 20th, and then we've got a big church service going that day on the 22nd. And we're going to take offerings at those services, ways for us to engage financially with what God is doing around the world to see lost people, people who don't yet know Jesus, come to know Jesus. And so we have an opportunity at those things to give to see lost people come to Jesus. That's exciting. That's something we can start planning for now. And the big goal isn't that we raise X amount of billions of dollars or whatever. The goal is for participation across the board. Participation is the goal. So even if it's you giving $1 on Sunday and giving $10 to go to the banquet on Friday night that I'm going to be at, that a lot of the people that you see are going to be at, that's what it is. But we're going to put our investment in the hands of God to use to see lost people come to Jesus. Part of that happened in Kenya around that building. But there were tons of lost people there who didn't know Jesus, and then we were able to fund some church plants, and now there's a, tons of churches up there because people like you said, I can give out of what God has given to me. Another thing is the women's event that Hannah talked about, where, uh, where on Saturday the 17th, uh, we're going to get together, not we because I won't be there, uh, but women and talk about the good things that God has done for them, eat food, and for tickets, it's seven bucks, which means you can pay 14 and you can, invite, you can bring yourself and bring somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus. You're giving towards seeing lost people meet Jesus. You're living in generosity as you use your $7 or your $14 or your $21 if you bring two non-Christian friends to see people meet Jesus. The third thing is creative, and you got to be, you got to like plan ahead on this one. Uh, up by 
where we took communion, there are some bookmarks that talk about financial freedom, which we'll get to later. And there are also these cards that say a little, a little something to show you that God loves you. Right, so what, one thing that we can do this week, this is, takes planning and this will probably scare you the first time. You go through the Starbucks drive-thru and you know all the time there's tons of cars behind you. Uh, what you can do is you can drop some money there for your drink, somebody else's drink, and this card because you're going to pay for the person behind you. And you don't know what they're going to get. They might just get a tall coffee and then you're out and you're like off the hook for $2.50, that's all. But it's a way for us to be like creatively and secretively generous. That we leave this, we leave, our, leave some cash and say, I'm going to buy the drink for whoever's behind me. So instead of giving money, they're going to get one of these and saying that somebody bought your drink for you. Or at Starbucks or you go to a restaurant and you can see somebody else and say, I want to buy that person's meal across the restaurant. They bring you their bill and instead of dropping off the bill, the server gives one of these. Uh, this is a way for us to be generous and us to invest in the lives of people who don't yet know Jesus. So on the back side, it's got all of our church information, uh, where we meet and what time our services are. And, and this is a cool place for us to be fun, have some creati- creativity around generosity uh, and invite people that we may never see uh, into a relationship with Jesus and into a church that loves them. This is all about generosity for lost people. And the last thing is uh, we budget margin into each month. The only thing we can know for sure, there are going to be things that happen in our lives financially each month that we didn't know for sure were going to happen. Like we just plan on that. So we budget margin into our budgets each month so that there are things that we can be prepared for. God gave us 100, we give him back 10, and we manage the other 90 as best we can. Part of that means that we plan for what we can't plan for. So for all of us, there are four things uh, that, we, that we want to do as we walk out of here. And if you've already done the first one, you move on to the second, second to the third, third to the fourth. Uh, but today, Jesus is calling us to take our next step into freedom. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this sounds like a lot of money that you're just giving to the church. But when you meet Jesus, when you find forgiveness, it starts to make sense. Out of everything that Jesus has done for you, he's saying, I want you to trust me with a little bit for me to do more than you could ever ask or imagine with that, and I will help you take care of the rest. So your first step today is to give your life to Jesus. If you've never done that, I want to challenge you to do that in about three minutes. Second step, if you've given your life to Jesus, is to start tithing. This is trusting God that he's going to manage the, the 10% you give to him and equip you to manage the other 90, and it's okay to be afraid. It is not okay to live in fear. And if you haven't tithed because you're afraid of what it's going to do to your bottom line, trust God with it. God says, you can trust me on this, you can put me to the test, and you will be protected. Third step is to start planning and giving generously. So if you've given your life to Jesus, you already tithe. Here's my challenge to you. Start planning on how to give generously. And whatever generous looks like for you is where generosity is for you. Okay, if the idea of being generous with $7 is, is like that's the edge of your faith, that's what God has for you. If it's more than that, that's what God has for you. But he's calling us as a church into an attitude of generosity. And the fourth thing is to teach the next generation to live in obedience with their finances, to to tithe out of what God has given to us, to, to give generously out of what God has given us beyond that. So all of us have something here. All of us have a mark on here. And I'm gonna pray, we're gonna worship, and we're gonna respond to wherever our check marks stop on this paper. So God, we thank you that you're here today. We thank you that you're alive. We thank you that you are our God who saves us. You're our providing God. And if you're here today and you've never made the decision to trust Jesus with your life, to ask him to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins, 
to change you from the inside of you to the outside of you, I want to give you that chance today. You are not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is our Savior. So if that's you today, I'm going to count to three, and when I say three, if you've never asked Jesus to come in and run your life, I'm going to give you that chance today. So one, God loves you. He always has. He always will. Today, he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives called sin uh, where we are pushing God away, and Jesus came to pay the penalty for that, to bring us back to God where we have pushed him away. Jesus is bringing us back. And three, today's your day to say that applies to me. I'm ready for forgiveness. I'm ready for a new life today with Jesus. Is there anyone like that today where today's your day? Just look at me and raise your hand, and as we close, someone will pray with you. Be the best decision you could ever make. Is there anyone like that here today? All right, for the rest of you, I'm calling you now to respond to where your check marks stop. If it's to tithe, I want you to come forward and say, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to step out in obedience. 10% of what I get is going back to you. If it's to give generously, to make a plan of how to give generously on the 20th or the 22nd, you're coming forward to say, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I want your wisdom. I want to know how to do this. If your check mark continues there and goes to the next one of, of teaching the next generation of how to live intelligently with their finances and live holy lives with their finances, then I'm calling you to come forward in response to that. That one could apply to all of us because there are always people who need to learn about what God wants from their money and they're looking to us to teach them. So I, let's worship, let's respond. There are bookmarks up here that cover how to pray through the six things that we talked about from praise to, to debt to tithing to generosity, all those things. And there are the cards that we can drop off and surprise people with as a way of saying God loves you. Here's some free stuff. So let's worship, let's respond. And as we worship, we're gonna be singing a song about how God does more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because in this area where we can imagine a whole lot of bad things, God wants to say, I've got you. I'm gonna do more you can imagine. You're gonna be protected more than you could know. And as you follow me, we're gonna walk together into a life that's better than we could ever hope for. Let's worship and respond.